So turn to Luke chapter 18, page 1051. Um, and again, can I uh, add my very warm welcome to Jagos? It's great to be with you this morning. Let's have a look at this passage. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to each one of us. And as we're starting this new term, starting this new academic year, Lord, we pray for you to speak powerfully into our lives this morning. Help us to receive all that you have for us for this year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited about this two-part series. If you haven't heard Josh's talk from last week, and I really encourage you to check it out on the website, it's a brilliant talk. And as we're looking at this theme of prayer, and as we're beginning a new academic year, I guess we ask ourselves, don't we, is it going to be the same old year? The same old inputs, the same old output. Yet it can't be avoided that Jesus calls us to pray all the time. All people, all places, always. This is the call for all who would follow Jesus. And this morning I could tell you to come to our monthly prayer meeting. I could tell you to come to Encounter on Thursday. I could tell you to download PrayerMate or to set reminders on your phone like I do. And that'd all be good things. But I don't want to give you a to-do list of actions to tick off. Persistent Prayer is really about who you're becoming. Becoming just like Jesus, who on earth prayed day and night and is praying now in heaven. If you're going to cultivate a persistent prayer life this year, you're going to have to cultivate faith. Fish swim, birds fly, people of faith pray. And yes, there's going to be times when you don't feel like it, when it will cost you something and it will often look like knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. In prayer, we often find it hard just to get going, let alone keep going. And we settle for less and we maybe avoid praying just one more time in case we're disappointed. 
So how do we get going and keep going in prayer? Praying 24-7, 24-7 prayer. It's not really about attrition. It's not even about stamina. It's about faith. And for a moment, I want to speak to those who are struggling here today. And some of us, our struggles bring us to our knees in prayer. And fathers of us, our struggles just wipe us out for the count. And at the same time, we live in a culture that is, is rife with victim mentality. Have you noticed that in the parable that we've just read, the woman doesn't let her position get in the way of going to the judge? She's a widow, and she's been given this identity that is intrinsically one of of victimhood, and she's the the most vulnerable adult in the community. And in a male-dominated legal system, she doesn't seem to have a father, a brother, a nephew, an uncle, anyone to speak of who can represent her. So she has to represent herself continuously. And it's likely that material resources are being withheld from her, and so she plays the only card that she has left. And we'll all go through tough times. All of us at any given time are facing some sort of battle. And there are different times when we go through greater battles. And I've known times in my life where I've very much felt dependent on other people's prayers, where I don't feel like I have it within me to pray. And if you right now are in a moment of despair, I want to say to you that we as a community here, we will stand with you. We will pray with you and for you. But there also comes a time when believing that, well, this is just the way that things have always been. And this is the way that things always will be. There comes a time when recognizing that that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. To recognize that there is victory, there is hope, that, that Jesus, who was the greatest victim, is the victor. That Jesus, the judge, has been judged for you and me. And as I think about some of the people in this church who've struggled the most, they seem to be the people that can teach me, can teach us the most about carrying on in prayer. But all of us, don't we? We, we? we have these persistent narratives that we listen to, these tapes that we play over in our minds about what we're like and about how life is for us. And at the start of this new year, you have the chance to replace a persistent narrative that is going on in your mind with an awareness of the God who persistently pursues you. Because persistent prayer isn't about hype, but it's about hope. Persistent prayer is not about hype, but it's about hope. 
Have you noticed that Jesus often does this sort of strange thing where he creates a character and then he says, I'm not like that person. Now, there's an interesting uh, contrast here between God and this judge who neither feared God or cared about people. Now, I know it's quite hard in this day and age to sort of imagine a powerful leader that doesn't care about God or, or people, but stay with me. Um, and, and, and Jesus, he contrasts himself with this judge. And, and we tend to think, don't we, about uh, God as sort of being a sort of grumpy judge, but just a bit grumpier or um, a distant father, but magnified, or a a, a distant headmaster. But but God is totally different altogether. And so the way that he acts is different. And in this passage, the only reason the judge relents is because of the, the sheer persistence of the widow. But God isn't worn down by attrition. And we see this um, parable mirrored in the book of Hebrews. We see that we we persevere for what we've been promised. We see that that God won't delay and that the righteous live by faith. And that God takes no pleasure in the one who, who shrinks back. God takes pleasure in us badgering him. Persistent prayer is the way that we we show God that we are open to him and that we are confident in him. In verse 7, when Jesus says that he will um, not keep putting them off, when he talks about not putting off us, the verb here is one of the three verbs in the New Testament that's used for patience. And it's really translated as God is slow to anger with us. Literally, he pushes anger far, far away. We know, don't we, that God is rich in love. He is slow to anger. He's, he's rich in love. He's rich in mercy. God is patient with us. God is waiting for us even now. Although we're called, although we're chosen, we often get things wrong, don't we? And being a a victim, it assumes that I'm right and you're wrong. And comparing ourselves with others is is, is the very danger that Jesus addresses in in the very next parable. But just because we suffer injustice, it doesn't automatically make us righteous. We are only righteous and righteous alone because of Jesus Christ. We hope in him. All of our hope is in Jesus. And so if this evil judge relents, if this evil judge gives in, how much more will God, who is on your side, come through for you this year? Did you see the, the new John Lewis advert this week? Don't worry, it's not the Christmas advert, at least not yet. Um, and so, so John Lewis Partnership, they have rebranded to John Lewis and Partners and Waitrose and Partners. And this, this company, the, the, the employees, they own the business. They're shareholders in the business. And so their sort of unique selling point, if you like, is that the staff, the employees, they're partners. And there's been a bit of speculation in the press that this rebrand is not about the customers, but it's actually really just for the staff. 
that they're people that are constantly reminded of their role, of their value to this company. And when I'm constantly reminded, when I constantly remind myself of my value, that in verse 7, God has chosen me, that far more significant than being in some sort of contract with God, but I'm in a covenant with God, then I begin to see my prayers sort of take off. In verse 1, Jesus says to always pray. Well, we're told that Jesus told this parable in order that we would always pray and not give up. Or elsewhere translated as to not lose heart. I so easily lose heart. For me, I find that reading the Bible, going out to, to, to walk and spend time with God and to listen to worship music, it sort of resets my faith. I'm reminded of who God is and what his plans are for me. And I wonder for you, what is it for you that raises your faith? Ultimately, faith is it's both a, a gift of the Holy Spirit and one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you're needing more faith this morning, you can ask God for faith. You can ask him to grow faith in you this year. The ad says from John Lewis, when you're part of it, you put your heart into it. And God has placed each one of us, not as distant shareholders on a distant beach somewhere, but he's called us partners, to be on the, on the shop floor where the little things and the big things matter. And I need reminding every day that I'm not some kind of silent parter, partner, but I'm invested. And only then when I recognize my value, I recognize that I'm invested, I give my full-throated voice to what is going on in my life and in the lives of those around me. The ad says, for us, it's personal. And for God, this is personal. Make your prayers, make your relationship with God this year personal. Just like the widow, bring your weaknesses, bring your need, bring your dependence to God. And so when a few verses later, Jesus says that we need, a, we need the faith of a child, go for broke this year. What is it that you want to see from Jesus? What is it that you want to see in your life this year? When we do this, not only do we see that Jesus wants us to not lose heart, but he wants to enlarge our hearts beyond ourselves. And when, we, when we begin to partner with God, we, we begin to care more about what he cares about including this word justice that we see over and over in this passage. The judge in this parable is a bit of a sort of a pantomime villain, isn't he? And sometimes if I'm looking at this parable, I can sort of identify myself as the widow in the parable. But if I'm being brutally honest, maybe sometimes I look more like the judge. Because we have a danger 
in 21st century clapper, of going about our lives, functioning in our lives, as if we don't fear God, and as if we don't care about people around us. In verse 8, the final question Jesus asks is whether he will find faith on the earth. And he's asking, will his followers, will his followers give in to convenience? Will they give in to a desire for a quiet and comfortable life? And little by little, settle for less and less than the gospel? Or will they still be faithful? Will they still be people of faith? And an outworking of being someone of faith is, I guess, the question, will, will we be selectivists? Will we be complacent and complicit in the injustice that is going on around us? Or will we be intercessors? Will we be intercessors, those people that stand in the gap and partner with Jesus in praying for justice on this earth? A man who was uh, very unlike the unrighteous judge in our passage today was our very own William Wilberforce. And he wrote in his prayer diary uh, that he resolved to live for the glory of God and the good of his fellow creatures. At the age of 27, he sensed God's call to fight the inhuman and the degrading injustice of the slave trade. In 1787, 10 million slaves left Africa for the plantations. In that year, he put down a motion in the House of Commons about the slave trade. And it was hugely and wildly unpopular. The bills in Parliament were unsuccessful. 1789, 1791, 1792, 1794, 1796, 1798, 1799, each one of them failed. In 1831, he sent a message to the anti-slavery society, and he wrote this, our motto must be perseverance, and ultimately, I trust the Almighty will crown our efforts with success. In July 1833, the abolition of slavery bill was passed in both houses of parliament, and just three days later, he died. I am so grateful that William Wilberforce prayed and acted for justice and that he didn't give up. History belongs to the intercessors. At the leadership conference earlier in the year, I heard um, Brian Stevenson speak. Brian Stevenson, who uh, runs the Equal Justice Initiative, And um, all these months on, I can still say it's the most powerful talk I've ever heard in my life. And he works in in the criminal justice system in the United States, working with young offenders who are on death row. And he said this, hope is our superpower. Hope allows us to change the world. 
Hope will get you to speak up when people tell you to be quiet. Hope will get you to stand up when people tell you to sit down. Just like William Wilberforce, who was ridiculed, like the persistent widow, like all the the women who were faithful to Jesus all the way to the cross and then beyond the cross to the grave, when it seemed mad, awkward, relentless, not socially acceptable. Will we dare to pray and act like them this year? Faith is what fuels prayer. And prayer is what fuels justice. Over the bank holiday weekend, I was down in Wales. And um, I was staying with some friends. And uh, one of my friends is is actually a pilot. And um, we went off to, to hire this plane for about an hour and a half. And as you can see there, it's a very small plane. I've never flown on a light aircraft before. And I was, I was quite nervous about this. Um, but you, you can see there too, um, there's a photo of me with, with Sam there as well, a friend of mine. And um, there we were in, in the plane. And as we took off, I thought, I'm going to be really nervous. But actually... I was, I was sort of okay. I thought, this is, this is great. Um, and so I was quite smug and sort of quite proud of myself. And as, as we were sort of taking off, we flew over these beautiful patchwork fields in Pembrokeshire. And then eventually we came to the coastline. And uh, what we came to was this military base. Now, for, for most of the year, it's a no-fly zone. But if you happen to have a, an aircraft, uh, you can fly over it uh, for just a very short time each year. And, and one of the things at this military base was uh, this beach. Now, this beach was actually where they simulated, where they practiced for the D-Day landings. And you may have uh, seen the film Dunkirk last year, and you may be aware of all of the sort of strange series of coincidences that very bizarrely all sort of lined up all at once that enabled us to evacuate Dunkirk. But beforehand, King George VI, he called for prayer. And afterwards, Churchill called it the miracle of Dunkirk. And he called for a national day of thanksgiving. And I long for those times when our leaders would call us to national days of prayer. And every now and again, we'd also have the need for a national day of thanksgiving to God. Because they recognize that our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. But this story actually began much earlier, in 1879, in a Welsh mining village, where a boy by the name of Rhys Howes was born. And as he grew up, little by little and more and more, he stepped out in faith. He stepped out in bigger and bigger acts of obedience. He stepped out in bigger and bigger acts of dependence on God. And as he stepped more and more into faithfulness to Jesus, he also was called into a life of intercession, to be an intercessor. And even before World War II, he called his Bible college in Wales to pray, to pray that Hitler might be defeated, 
And this, um, this ongoing prayer that they did, it, it intensified as D-Day approached. And he said this, We are going up to the battle, and I am as sure of victory as of the dawn. If you know you have faith for something, would you not go on until you got it? History belongs to the intercessors. It belongs to people who pray in faith for what Jesus has already won. Could it be that the call to persistent prayer is not really an obligation or a duty, but a calling to a life, an adventure of faith? In my life, I know there's times when I've had to actively choose faith, to choose faith over fear. And when I've doggedly pursued Jesus for for things in my life, that's when I begin to see things shift. I um, I had my hair cut this week. I know it might not look like I had my hair cut, um, but I did, I can assure you. And uh, as I was having my hair cut, the, the man who was cutting my hair, he, he, he was sort of getting quite sort of worked up about the issue of slavery and, and the issue of human trafficking that we, we see in London today. And as he was speaking, he was sort of waving his arms wildly about, which is terrifying because he had scissors in his hands. Um, but as he was speaking, I sort of thought, as the church... We're so often a bit half-hearted, aren't we? A bit que-sera-sera. Take it or leave it. But can you imagine a church fired up with the love of Jesus, fired up for the things that Jesus is fired up about, and not backing down, not shrinking back? The difference this year between an ordinary year, an ordinary impact, and an extraordinary one is a faith-filled and fired-up version of you. Amen? Amen. Would you like to stand as the band come up?